Section 12 of Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 3. How He Was Born Again As one reads the last fragment of the autobiography of Henry James, one cannot help thinking of him as a convert giving his testimony. Henry James was converted into an Englishman with the same sense of being born again as is felt by many a convert to Christianity. He can speak of the joy of it all only in superlatives. He had the convert's sense of, in his own phrase, quote, agitations explorations initiations i scarce know how endearingly enough to name them he speaks of quote, this really prodigious flush quote, of his first full experience of england he passes on the effect of his religious rapture when he tells us that quote, Really, wherever I looked, and still more wherever I pressed, I sank in and in up to my nose. End quote. How breathlessly he conjures up the scene of his dedication, as he calls it, in the coffee room of a Liverpool hotel on that gusty, overwhelmingly English March morning in 1869, on which at the age of almost twenty-six he fortunately and fatally landed on these shores quote, with immediate intensities of appreciation as i may call the muffled accompaniment for fear of almost indecently overnaming it End quote. he looks back with how exquisite a humor and seriousness on that morning as having finally settled his destiny as an artist this doom he writes this doom of inordinate exposure to appearances aspects images every protrusive item almost in the great beheld sum of things i regard as having settled upon me once for all while i observed for instance that in england the plate of buttered muffins and its cover were sacredly set upon the slop bowl after hot water had been ingenuously poured into the same and had seen that circumstance in a perfect cloud of accompaniments it is characteristic of henry james that he should associate the hour in which he turned to grace with a plate of buttered muffins. His fiction remained to the end, to some extent, the tale of a buttered muffin. He made mountains out of muffins all his days. His ecstasy and his curiosity were nine times out of ten larger than their objects. Thus, though he was intensely interested in English life, he was interested in it not in its largeness as life so much as in its littleness as a museum almost a museum of bric-a-brac 
he was enthusiastic about the waiter in the coffee-room in the liverpool hotel chiefly as an illustration of the works of the english novelists again and again in his reminiscences one comes upon evidence that henry james arrived in england in the spirit of a collector a connoisseur as well as that of a convert his ecstasy was that of a convert his curiosity was that of a connoisseur as he recalls his first experience of a london eating-house of the old sort with its small compartments narrow as horse-stalls he glories in the sordidness of it all because quote, every face was a documentary scrap i said to myself under every shot and at the hint of every savour that this it was for an exhibition to reek with local colour and one could dispense with a napkin with a crusty roll with room for one's elbows or one's feet with an immunity from intermittence of the plain boiled much better than one could dispense with that here again one has an instance of the way in which the show of english life revealed itself to henry james as an exhibition of eating as one sat there he says of his reeking restaurant one understood it is in the same mood of the connoisseur on the track of a precious discovery that he recalls quote, the very first occasion of my sallying forth from morley's hotel in trafalgar square to dine at a house of sustaining of inspiring hospitality in the kensington quarter quote. what an epicure the man was quote, the thrill of sundry invitations to breakfast end quote, still survived on his palate more than forty years afterwards not that these meals were recalled as gorges of the stomach they were merely gorges of sensation gorges of the sense of the past the breakfasts associated him at a jump with the ghosts of byron and sheridan and rogers they had also a documentary value as quote, the exciting note of a social order in which every one wasn't hurled straight with the momentum of rising upon an office or a store end quote. it was one morning quote, beside mrs charles norton's tea-room in queen's gate terrace end quote, that his thrilling opportunity came to sit opposite to mr frederick harrison eminent in the eyes of the young american not for his own sake so much as because recently he had been the subject of matthew arnold's banter everybody in england like mr harrison seemed to henry james to be somebody or at least to have been talked about by somebody they were figures not ciphers they were characters in a play with 
cross-references. The beauty was that people had references, and that a reference was then to my mind, whether in a person or an object, the most glittering, the most becoming ornament possible, a style of decoration one seemed likely to perceive figures here and there, whether animate or no, quite grown under the accumulation and the weight of. It is surprising that, loving this new life so ecstatically, James should so seldom attempt to leave any detailed description of it in his reminiscences. He is constantly describing his raptures. He only occasionally describes the thing he was rapturous about. Almost all he tells us about, quote, the extravagant youth of the aesthetic period, unquote, is that to live through it, Quote, was to seem privileged to such immensities as history would find left her to record but with bated breath. He recalls again quote, the particular sweetness of wonder end quote, with which he haunted certain pictures in the National Gallery, but it is himself, not the National Gallery, that he writes about of titian and rembrandt and rubens he communicates nothing but the fact that quote, the cup of sensation was thereby filled to overflowing quote. he does indeed give a slender description of his first sight of swinburne in the national gallery but the chief fact even of this incident is that quote, I thrilled with the prodigy of this circumstance that I should be admiring Titian in the same breath with Mr. Swinburne. Thus the reminiscences are, in a sense, extraordinarily egotistic. This is, however, not to condemn them. Henry James is, as I have already said, his own greatest character and his portrait of his excitements is one of the most enrapturing things in the literature of autobiography he makes us share these excitements simply by telling us how excited he is they are exactly the sort of excitements all of us have felt on being introduced to people and places and pictures we have dreamed about from our youth who has not felt the same kind of joy as Henry James felt when George Eliot allowed him to run for the doctor? I shook off my fellow visitor, he relates, quote, for swifter cleaving of the air, and I recall still feeling that I cleft it even in the dull four-wheeler, after he had delivered his message, he, quote, cherished for the rest of the day the particular quality of my vibration, quote. The occasion of the message to the doctor seems strangely comic in the telling. On arriving at George Eliot's, Henry James found one of G. H. Lewis's sons lying in horrible pain in the middle of the floor, the heritage of an old accident in the West Indies, or as Henry James characteristically describes it, quote, 
a suffered onset from an angry bull i seem to recall who had tossed or otherwise mauled him and though beaten off left him considerably compromised there is something still more comic than this however to be got out of his visits to george eliot the visit he paid her at whitman under the much-waved wing of the irrepressible mrs grebel who quote, knew no law but that of innocent and exquisite aberration had a superb conclusion which quote, left our adventure an approved ruin as james was about to leave and indeed was at the step of the brougham with mrs greville g h lewis called on him to wait a moment he returned to the doorstep and waited until lewis hurried back across the hall quote, shaking high the pair of blue-bound volumes his allusion to the uninvited the verily importunate loan of which by mrs greville had lingered on the air after his dash in quest of them ah these books take them away please away away i hear him unreservedly plead while he thrusts them again at me and i scurry back into our conveyance the blue-bound volumes happened to be a copy of henry james's own new book a presentation copy he had given to mrs greville and she in turn with the best intentions had tried to leave with george eliot to be read and admired george eliot and lewis had failed to connect their young visitor with the volumes hence a situation so comic that even its victim could not but enjoy it Quote, our host hadn't so much as connected book with author or author with visitor or visitor with anything but the convenience of his ridding them of an unconsidered trifle grudging as they so justifiably did the impingement of such matters on their consciousness the vivid demonstration of one's failure to penetrate there had been in the sweep of lewis's gesture which could scarcely have been bettered by his actually wielding a broom henry james was more fortunate in tennyson as a host tennyson had read at least one of his stories and liked it all the same james was disappointed in tennyson he expected to find him a poet signed and stamped and found him only a booming bard not only was tennyson not tennysonian he was not quite real his conversation came as a shock to his guest Quote, he struck me as neither knowing nor communicating knowledge as tennyson read locksley hall to his guests henry james had to pinch himself quote, not at all to keep from swooning but much rather to set up some rush of sensibility what a lovely touch of malice there is in his description of tennyson on an occasion on which 
the ineffable Mrs. Greville quoted some of his own verse to him. Quote, he took these things with a gruff philosophy and could always repay them on the spot in heavily shoveled coin of the same mint, since it was a question of his genius. End quote. Henry James ever retained a beautiful detachment of intellect, even after his conversion. He was a wit as well as an enthusiast. The middle years, indeed, is precious in every page for its wit as well as for its confessional raptures. It may be objected that Henry James's wit is only a new form of the old-fashioned paraphrasis. He might be described as the last of the paraphrastic humorists. At the same time, if ever in any book there was to be found the free play of an original genius, a genius however limited and even little, it is surely in the autobiography of Henry James. Those who can read it at all will read it with shining eyes. End of section 12 Read by Bill Mosley, Bernardo, Texas, USA